So I've got a message for you today. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to try and not be all over the map, but uh, one of the things that happens when you kind of start thinking about, okay, what's going to be the last word of 2017, right? That's kind of a big uh, thing to do. And uh, I wanted, at first I thought, well, maybe I'll give you a list of all the things I learned in 2017, right? I learned, um, finally learned after over 10 years of marriage, just do whatever my wife says. <laughs> just whatever. Actually, I think there was actually a point um, a couple months ago where I was like, honey, I'm done. She's like, what? What do you mean you're done? I said, I'm just done having any opinion about anything. <laughs> just, I no longer, just whatever you, whatever you say. Um, you know, I learned this year that... Uh, uh, the Cubs uh, were good last year, but they weren't as good this year. I learned that, and um, so I learned some disappointment there. I, like, I relearned what it was like to be disappointed by the Cubs, so that was kind of cool. Uh, I, learned, uh, I learned how to move very efficiently. I moved four times this year. Uh, it was awful. And what was awful is they got worse as the moves happened. Like, they got more terrible and stressful. Um, I learned uh, not to live in a flooding zone. <laughs> learned that. I learned that my kids um, copy way better than they listen. Um, I learned a lot. One, the biggest thing I think I learned, though, is um, something I want to share with you today, and that is the reality of God's grace because this year for me was the worst year of my life. No joke. The worst year of my life. And a lot of bad things happened. Um, I don't know if you've ever realized a dream that you had and then watched it die in front of you. Like, that's what happened to me this year. It's like everything that I had worked for since I was 16 years old I saw just kind of crumble in my hands and slip away, and I thought, what do I have left? My identity was gone, like who I kind of identified myself as. Um, my goals, my hopes, I became very like lost for a good few months. I, I battled with depression like I never thought I would. Um, it was some of the darkest times of my life. And right now, I'm happier in life than I've ever been. And I, th and I think, well, what's that all about? How, how, is it that I can, how is it that I can go through all this? I mean, and it went from bad to worse. Like, just, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, it got a lot worse. And, um, and I got to tell you... Uh, any question that you've ever had about God or life or your faith, I've probably had, and I could probably give you some more to add on to all that anxiety and worry if you want some. Um, I, I mean, and, and in, my, in my life with, with, with God, I've, I've, I've questioned nearly every theological point and everything that I can question, and I've concluded that the one thing that is absolutely rock solid is that I really believe that God loves everybody. 
and that God has grace. Like, you can't even believe how much He has. Um, that's become like the one unshakable truth that I absolutely hold to. And I want to just kind of share a story with you in the Bible that highlights that and illustrates that. I'd, I'd rather not just talk about me uh, all morning. Uh, like, we came here to listen to the Bible, not just listen to you rant. So, I want to do that this morning. I want to take you through a story, and if you want to uh, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, it's pretty easy. It's the first book in the Bible, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 45, okay? And so just kind of pause right there. And I want to give you the backstory. And I told Josh this morning, I said, uh, I feel like my message this morning is like the end of a six-month series message. So we're just going to skip doing a series and just get to the end, okay? Because um, that's usually the best part anyway, right? Depends on them. <laughs> yeah, depends. So um, I want to talk to you about a guy named Joseph. You might have heard, and you, you probably know a lot of this story. In fact, if you've grown up in church or kind of gone to Sunday school or some type of, uh, you know, as a kid, you probably heard this story. And uh, there's this guy named Joseph who was the son of Jacob, okay? And uh, Joseph was kind of like the favorite son, or one of the favorite sons. And uh, he was like really good looking, he was really talented. He was like, uh, you know, like Josh, you know, like just really had it all. Um, you said, you said good looking. Yeah, yeah, good looking guy. And so uh, kind of had everything going for him. And he had, the, he had some special talents and abilities that God had given him. One, one specifically was to interpret dreams. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever had a dream that really stuck with you. And uh, it was kind of like different maybe than all the other dreams, and not just that you remembered it, but that you remembered it and you know it means something, and maybe you're not sure what it means, but you can't shake it, right? I've had dreams like that where I go, I don't know what that was about, but just stayed with me. And uh, Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams, meaning that he could kind of see what the, the truth of something was, and, and he could see to the heart of the matter in ways that other people couldn't see. And God had given him that ability. So, anyway, he has that ability. He has a dream, and he makes the mistake of sharing it with his brothers who become pretty jealous of his dream because what his dream essentially means is that he's going to rule over all of them. And uh, he's, it's a real kind of arrogant thing to say and to share. You know, that's not maybe something that you really want to share, especially when you're young and you haven't experienced life yet in any way that really matters, right? Because you can have a dream about uh, you know, your life, but you know, and this is kind of maybe a warning uh, to, to young people in the room. It's like, be careful who you share your dreams with, you know, because there's some people that will really support you and will want to see your dream come to fruition, and there's other people who won't care or they're just, you know, whatever. And then there's some people who, like, really want to see a fail and like, will actually try to make that happen. And uh, so, so Joseph, you know, 
It's really the only time in the story of his life that you see him make a real mistake and, uh, or do something really not wise. And so his brothers get mad and they, they decide to, to sell him into slavery. You know. and first they were going to kill him and they decide not to. So you can imagine how much they didn't like them. I mean, I got two younger brothers and I'm sure that I've wanted to kill them and they've wanted to kill me and we've probably tried at some point. I mean, we used to have real fights like bats and knives involved type of fights. Um, I've got some scars to prove it. And, uh, but they, they were really serious about, like, we've got to get rid of him. Very jealous. He was, his father had given them this special coat that was like the symbol of all the authority and, 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 and promise and, and prestige. And it, was, it was, had more colors on it than anybody else. And, and it was, you know, look, look at me. They didn't like that. So, gets sold into slavery, and, uh, and then, it, so that's bad. I don't know if you've ever been sold into slavery, but, um, you know, I can't imagine that that's a good scenario, because basically any dream that you had and any hope that you had of, of doing anything with your life all of a sudden must just be like, well, that's done. You know, that's just, I can't do that now, because now I've got to do whatever this person says, and I have to serve them, and I lived to, to, to work for them for essentially nothing. And, and so he, he, he becomes a slave and, and for a long time he serves. And, uh, but then there's this situation that goes, goes from bad to worse. You know, and This is kind of the theme in Joseph's life. It goes from bad to worse. And uh, there's, there's a, his master's wife uh, wants to sleep with him. And he doesn't want to because he thinks, well, that's a real bad idea. This guy is, you know, he's kind of, at this point, he's kind of become the head slave, the head servant. And so he kind of has a position of authority. And, and uh, well, if I mishandle and mismanage this, that would go really bad for me. You know, it could cost him his life. And so he says, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, she basically entraps him and makes it look like he did and lies about it. You know, it, basically she sexually harasses him, you know, like all the time. And then, you know, if you're following today's news, that kind of is interesting to think about. Um, and so he, he gets thrown into prison because he's falsely accused of this crime that he didn't commit. And uh, then he's in prison for a long time, many years. And you got to think, well, that's, that went from bad to worse and to even worse. Because now he's just in prison, and um, sentences back then were more at the whim of whoever put you in there, like when they felt like letting you out. You know, it wasn't like, he didn't have like a sentence that he had, you know, in mind, like, I'm going to do 10 years in here, and then I'm out. It wasn't like that. It was a real undefined moment of, well, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this mess, in this situation. But it's really interesting about Joseph is that when he was a slave and when he was a prisoner, he never seemed to like buy into the reality that that's what he was. So his external circumstances didn't seem to dictate how he was going to conduct himself as a person. 
So he didn't really act like a slave, so he kind of became the head slave. He didn't really act like a prisoner. In fact, the, the prison guard had favor on him, and you got to think, well, that's a really good thing to have, right? Because if, if you want to be in good graces with anybody, it's the guy who can kill you or beat you or in charge of your food or where you go to the bathroom, right? Like that guy you don't want to make mad. So, and it's probably good to be on that person's good side. So he gets on his good side. And then he's favored and there's a situation where some prisoners have some dreams and he interprets their dreams and eventually, eventually, um, yes, that's true. Eventually, uh, that's what I was saying earlier, by the way. Um, eventually, he, uh, he decides, uh, he, he, he interprets these dreams and then uh, through a series of circumstances that I won't get into, the, the Pharaoh has a, has a dream and he needs somebody to interpret it because it's like, it's, it's something that's sticking with him and he doesn't know what it means, but it's bothering him, right? It's like, I got to figure out what this is about. And so uh, a servant who had had a dream interpreted by Joseph remembers, oh, I know this guy. He interpreted this dream for me. Here, here he is. So they, they clean him up. They pull him out of, out of prison. And this has been years now, you know, it's been years. They bring him out. And, uh, and, and Joseph interprets the dream. And it's not good. Like, you know, if you were in that position of giving the Pharaoh, the king, news, you probably would like want to keep it like good news. You know? But he doesn't. He just tells them what it means. In fact, one of the things he does is says, look, I'm going to give you the interpretation, but this, this is from God. You know, this is... A, I'm not going to interpret it. God's going to tell you, and uh, here's what it is. And basically what it means is you're going to have like seven years of, of really good, plentiful harvesting, and things are going to be abundant, and things are going to be really good, and then you're going to have seven years where it's desolation, famine, nothing's going to grow, drought, everything's going to be really bad. And so what I think you should do is during these seven years, you know, take like a fifth of everything that you're bringing in and put it in storehouses and, and store it all up. And that way, all the other surrounding nations of Egypt will have to come to you to get food for when the time gets really bad. And they're going to pay out their nose to get some food because they don't want to starve and die. You know, that's one of the, by the way, one of the reasons why we have farming subsidies, subsidies in America was because back uh, we didn't want to happen to us what happened to like Europe and other countries, especially Ireland, where during wartime, we, they ran out of food and then people were starving to death. And we're like, well, we're not going to ever have that happen to us as kind of a, you know, support farmers and you know, just as an aside. So that's kind of what he does, right? Yeah, I'm trying to stay on track, but it's hard. So he, uh, that's what he does. And Pharaoh essentially puts him in charge. And in a lot of ways, Joseph now goes from, from in a pit, being sold into slavery, in prison, being even lower. He's, you know, he's, like, he's like traveling down the rungs of hell. And things are getting worse and worse and more and more hopeless. And then all of a sudden, he's put into a position of authority and really, he ends up having a lot, he even has more authority than Pharaoh because Pharaoh kind of relegates himself to this, um, 
ceremonial figure, and he's the one then put in charge of, well, when, you know, you, you need to go tell everybody what to do with their farms and what to do with all the corn and the grain and everything else you're growing, and, and, and uh, you're going to make all those decisions, and you're going to be in charge of all the food, and then when people come to buy, they're going to come to you, and you're going to make decisions on who gets what and how much you're going to charge and all that. He puts them in charge of everything. So, so Joseph goes from slave to prisoner to leader of a nation. The guy with all the responsibility. So then this really neat thing happens. Because Joseph in that time, it's obvious that he had, made him, he had gotten himself together. You know, like, in all that time of, of, of being in the, the darkest places, you know, in all that time of having tragedy in his life, he didn't allow tragedy to, like, ruin him. You know, and maybe, maybe you've had tragedy before in life. I think the longer you live, the more likely that's true, and the more likely that's the case. Um, but maybe the real tragedy in life is not having tragedy happen to you in your life, but allowing tragedy to ruin your life. Maybe that's, the re- maybe that's what that means. Like That's the real tragedy, is when you allow the really bad stuff to just own you and define who you are now. Well, he doesn't do that. You know, and that's the right way to live. That's the right way to operate when you're in a bad, dark place, is to not let it destroy you. And to ruin you. Or to become the one that inflicts tragedy on others. As we're going to see here. Because this really interesting thing happens is that Joseph's brothers then have to go to Egypt and get food because the famine has begun. They're about two years into it now. And they're realizing we don't have enough food. All our people are going to die. Our families are going to die. And so we got to go get food. So Jacob sends the brothers on to go get food from Pharaoh, not knowing that Joseph's the one in charge. It's been years since they've seen him. They don't even know what he looks like anymore. Probably forgotten him. It's not like back then they had pictures. You've got to think about that, right? Like, people didn't have pictures. Like, like 200, 300 years ago, like, there weren't really photographs. Like, if you, if you didn't see somebody for a long time, chances are you might forget what they look like and Time passes and age happens and you, you might not remember. So it wasn't like they had Facebook and they could just like look up, oh, where's he living now, you know? It didn't happen. So, um, so Joseph's brothers come to him and they need food and they're dying. And uh, then something really amazing happens. Joseph um, messes with them, like big time. He, he, he pulls all these little tricks on him. Essentially what he does is, is when they first come to him, he, he's like, oh, well, uh, um, is your father still alive? Maybe out of his own curiosity, because I'd want to know if my dad's still around him. I think he would too. You know, he, he wants to know, and they say, well, yes, he's still alive. And he goes, and is this all, all your brothers? Because he knows, he knows someone's missing, and he knows which one. He, he doesn't see Benjamin there, and Benjamin's not there. Benjamin's been left at home, and there's a reason for that. It's because Benjamin was kind of the other favorite son of Jacob. 
And he was the full brother of Joseph. All his other brothers were half-brothers. And so, uh, Benjamin has become kind of like the other favorite son that, that Jacob doesn't want to put in harm's way. You know, this is a very dangerous thing to go to some, some king. You're not going to know what they're going to want from you. You're not going to know what they're going to ask. And so Joseph does this pretty uh, clever thing. And he says, well, you go back and get your other brother and we'll, we'll talk then. And he does, and I, I always wonder, like, well, why did he do that? I, I really, I think I, I think I figured out maybe some of it, and, and that is, he wanted to see had they learned their lesson from the last time. You, you know, he wanted to see have they changed? Like they might be sorry, but have they like learned? Have they? It's not just enough to be sorry. Like, have they repented of this? Have they have they um, realized that what they've done was really wrong to Joseph? And so. Would they be willing to put Benjamin in that kind of situation? Because in their minds now, the brothers are thinking, you know, if we bring Benjamin to, to this guy that they don't know is Joseph, if we bring him to this guy who's in charge of everything, what if they want him to be a slave? That would kill our dad. It would kill him. Like, his, you know, he's, he's already old. He's like 130 at this time. You know, it would kill him. It would, it would end him. So we can't do that. So they kind of they kind of try to make a deal with Joseph and Judah. One of the brothers, you know, kind of speaks up and says, "Well, hey, how about me instead? How about I stay here and you know we do like they go get him maybe or maybe you don't need to go get him. Just I'll be your servant, you know." And and Joseph realizes, okay, these guys have probably changed and does a couple other things to figure this out and and then. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. My father's still living, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Yeah, you're darn right they're terrified, right? Like, and you've got to think about that for a minute because, you know, this is the guy that they really, really wronged. You know, like wronged in the worst kind of way. Like they were going to kill him, but they didn't even give him that. You know, they, like they sold him. Like he, like, he, like he was a possession. Like he was less than a person. So yeah, they'd be terrified. And, he, and then let's keep going. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Which you think I'd be kind of like, why? <laughs> when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And I just want to pause right there. Already he's responding with what? Grace. He's like, 
don't even be mad at yourselves about this. Why? Because God sent me ahead of you for two verse six, for two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So I just want to pause right there. So Joseph, Joseph, first of all, is in the lineage of Jesus. Okay? He's, he's one of, uh, Jesus is one of the descendants of Joseph. At the same time, Joseph is a type of Christ. In fact, you'll see many times in the Bible there are characters that are kind of types of Christ or have Christ-like characteristics that Jesus ends up um, Jesus ends up showing even more so, but it's kind of like precursors or hints at what the Savior's nature and character will be like. And this is one of the biggest ones of them, and that is like you thought you were doing wrong, and you were, but somehow God used the thing that you thought was wrong and you knew was wrong, and He flipped it on its head, and He ended up using it for the good of others. Like, in a way that you couldn't have foreseen, predicted, or it never even popped into your head that that kind of thing would happen. And so through the thing that you thought was the selfish act that you did, through your sin, God ends up bringing deliverance. So, and then we see that in Christ, because Christ ends up taking all of humanity's sin and suffering on himself. And it's through Christ who lived a sinless life, who took on sin, who became, he became sin, who knew no sin, died, and brought us a great deliverance, though everything that we've ever done, every, your whole life is like building a case for why you don't deserve to be saved. Like your whole life is just like building a case, a list of things of why you're just not worthy of saving. And then through that, God says, okay, I'm going to save you. Verse 8, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all of Egypt. That's pretty amazing. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Okay, let's stop right there. Okay, so... Here's kind of where I want to end today. Is that God, God's grace, you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You can do nothing to attain it. It's it's not anything about what you do. It's not even what you believe. Okay? God's grace is given to whomever he chooses to give it to. 
And He gave it to all when He died on the cross for you and I. So, essentially what that means is that you don't have a say about God's love for you. Like, you didn't get to determine that. You didn't get to decide that. But God loves you. And, consequently, you have no idea what's at stake when it comes to accepting and receiving the grace of God because it's actually not only just for your benefit, but that generations around you are impacted and are changed by when the grace of God is in your life. So here's what that means like on a, on a daily basis. Because that's all we kind of really do is we live kind of one day at a time. And, and what does that really mean for you in your daily life? So God has told us that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciling is when you, you reconciling is when like two people who aren't getting along, who should be getting along, or, should, or whose relationship should be right, are brought back together. Reconciliation. A broken thing restored. Okay? I love that. I love that. I think that's actually why, I think there's a redemptive quality in all of our hearts that desires that on like every single level. I think that's why shows like Fixer Upper are so popular. I'm not kidding. Because there's something in you that wants to see a restorative thing happen. Like, we love when we see, like, 0-16 teams go and win the Super Bowl. Like, we love when, when the thing that was dead and ruined and gone, like, transforms into the thing that's alive and new and thriving and amazing. We love that. Something that bothers me, okay, uh, is like when I'm driving down the road somewhere, and especially it happens like on like long country roads, and you see a, a decrepit old barn that's just like, like hasn't been lived in or worked on in like 50 years, and the roof is like sagging in. I hate that. I don't, I don't even know why I hate that so much. But I do, because I look at it and I go, where I see that, I see failed opportunity, or I see an opportunity that someone, or responsibility that someone's not fully restoring or making right. It's just a small little example. But it's like, there's that, that is going on in your life all the time. Because you and I have relationships with people, and we have things where, where restoration and reconciliation needs to happen. If I'm not right with somebody, like my wife, it, I can't, I can't like function. I can't sleep. I can't, uh, it's not right. I, it just, I don't feel good. And so I want to see the restoration of different people come back together. So I think what that means is that there's opportunities all the time in your life to, to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus actually did this with a guy named Peter. Peter, had, who had denied him three times. You might remember this. He had denied him three times. Jesus actually asked him, well, do you love me? He's like, well, yeah. Well, do you love me? Well, yeah. Do you love me? And there's all this like, significance in the way in which he asks him. But I think the, the main thing in that is that Jesus wanted to see, okay, I know that you're sorry, but are you repentant? You know, like... Are, 
Are you ready? And, and the repentance is not for Jesus. The repentance is for the person that has done the wrong thing. Like, we don't repent because Jesus, like, if we don't do that, you know, he's like got a tally board in heaven. Like, okay, he's now repented this many times and sinned this many times. So we've got to make sure that they're like in favor of, of good versus bad. It's about restoring relationship, being right, reconciling. And that's what God's grace does in ways that you can't even imagine. So if you've ever been in a dark, deep hole, if you've ever seen your dreams crushed and broken, if you've ever seen your life just crumble before your eyes and you have no idea what to do or where to go or what to do next, you can know that you have a Savior who might have even led you into that situation and allowed you to, to go through it in order that you might be a blessing to others. That's why I love when I see women who have been sexually abused or raped, they, who don't allow that to define them. Instead, they end up working for the benefit of other women. Right? They, 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 they create foundations and they help other women get through those same kind of dark, terrible times that they went through. And, and do something amazing, or, or guys who uh, have gone to prison uh, rightfully or wrongfully, and they come out and they, and, they, and they come back and they go back into the prisons as free men who, who say, I want the people in there to have a better life and a better chance and learn from my mistakes. And there's something about that. Because the area of your greatest wound, the greatest wound in your life is probably the area of your greatest ministry. Like wherever you've been hurt the most, wherever you've been wounded the most is probably where you need to serve the most. You know? We don't need more volunteers just for stuff and activities and ministries. We, what we actually need is for everybody to be serving in the area where your heart is broken. Just serve where your heart's broken. What breaks your heart? And it probably breaks your heart because your heart's probably been broken that same way. That's why my ministry right now is being a cook. I was a pastor. And maybe was isn't the right way to say it. But every time I put food on a plate, I think of Jesus saying, feed my sheep. I know it's silly. But I feel like I'm doing a better job at that, in that role than I ever did as a pastor. Working in a church. Where's your heart broken? Where does God's grace shine brightest? Who in your life needs the grace of God? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it your enemies? Is it your neighbors? Is it a person in checkout line at Publix? Who is it? You have opportunities all the time to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Father God, uh, we thank you for the example of the life of Joseph, that he didn't let the tragedy of his life turn into the real tragedy and that is wasted opportunity and rejected responsibility. God, your word says that though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. God, we're allowed to fall, we're allowed to fail, we're allowed to make mistakes. You've not made us to be automatons and robots that just do the right thing all the time. You've created us as living, breathing beings that, that need to learn and need to grow and need to change. God, you love us right where we're at. You love us too much to allow us to just stay there. God, I pray that 2018 
would be a year filled of grace. That we would be just in your grace every day, operating out of your grace, not out of trying to earn it, not out of trying to be good, not out of trying to keep a set of rules, but because we know that we've been forgiven much, we're going to be people that forgive much. We know that we have a God that loves us much, and so we're going to be a people that love much. We have a God who gives much, so we're going to be a people that give much. Thank you, God, for storing all things and that we get to be a part of that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.